When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, right back to these phone lines and uh, back to Kathy up and Bernie. Okay, we can continue that conversation. Okay. Um, what's the best thing to knock out aphids with? Um, I have a- my, uh, the uh, Nandina. Um, if you're seeing aphids on just about any plant, that plant is probably stressed. So I would knock out the aphids, plus I'd look and see what's causing the stress, whether it's uh, a soil issue, whether it's uh, in there need of fertilizer or deep watering. You can kill aphids with almost anything. The same insecticidal soap that I was telling you to on the white flies will knock out the aphids as well. Uh, but gosh, just about anything, neem will knock out the aphids. Um, you can even release ladybugs and take care of the aphids. But if you don't feel like, figure out what's stressing the plants, the aphids will be back. So take a close look at those nandinans and see what they see what might be causing them some other problems. Okay. And is there anything that I can do this spring to promote more blooms on my butterfly iris? Butterfly iris tend to bloom over a longer period of time, but they are not an iris that ever has a lot of flowers on them at one time. So they're not going to be like your old flag iris and, you know, put up a whole lot of flowers at one time. But the flag iris, uh, many varieties only bloom once a year. The nice thing about your butterfly iris and the closely related uh, bicolor iris is that they will bloom off and on throughout the summer. But just your good fertilizing, um, I like. Are they are these in the ground or are they in pots? Uh, in the ground. Okay. If you want to and have the time to feed frequently, like every two, three, four weeks, using any of the good liquid fertilizers are going to give you the potential for having the maximum number of flowers. Your dry granular fertilizers are okay, but I think the liquids are much faster acting. But it would be very unusual to have just a whole big forest of flowers at any one time. That's just not the nature of the way that butterfly hours grow. Okay, and one last question. Um, we have a retaining wall that's um, getting discolored and, and just doesn't look as nice as we'd like it. And we have... Um, the uh, sage, Texas sage, planted all along it there. But I was wondering about this creeping fig, uh, if it would stay green all winter, and or what we call I know like ivy on some walls mm-hmm. will actually uh, ruin the wall or get into the pores and cause it to crack. No, that's, that's not really fig. true. But uh, um, what part of uh, the Bernie area do you live? Uh, out John's Road, about four and a half miles out. Okay, so you're just you're just over the ridge from me. <laughs> um, the problem with fig ivy is just it's marginally cold hardy. Even in San Antonio, about once every five or eight years, uh, the fig ivy freezes back. Even in San Antonio, so uh, you're going to have to be prepared for that. I don't 
uh, you know, it'd be rare for us to get a cold enough winter to actually kill it. But um, it's uh, it, it's going to suffer more damage than it would here in San Antonio. What is on top of the retaining wall? What is this wall holding back? Um, our driveway um, and uh, concrete driveway. Okay, is there is there any soil up at the top? Is there a bed along the top, or does it just retaining wall straight up to the concrete driveway? Uh, no, the retaining wall is uh, on the outside of the driveway, so mm-hmm. there's uh, planting beds and dirt at the bottom of the retaining wall. But not at the top? No. Okay. Uh, the reason I ask is I, I would strongly have suggested something that would grow and trail over you know, the top oh. of the wall and down rather than trying mm-hmm. to grow things up. Uh, if you really want to screen that wall, uh, here's what I would do if it were mine. And I take it this is a fairly sunny location? Yes, it is. I would probably... But it also gets the north wind, too, okay. in the winter. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to probably plant fig ivy there. But I would uh, take some sort of wood that's not going to rot, and that would probably be something like... Uh, tracks or something i think you can probably get that down at buoy lumber there on i-10 but cut it into strips that are maybe inch two inches wide and screw those uh into the concrete i I don't know how experienced you are with this but you you drill a hole in the concrete you put something called a star anchor in there and you Mm -hmm. can screw directly something to attach it but i want a wood that's not going to rot and that's not going to be today's treated wood because it will rot out on you and then i would attach all on top of that material, I would attach something like uh, cattle panels or something like that, and then I would grow something that would climb up. Uh, the The problem with things, and I'm thinking about things like Tangerine Beauty Crossvine, which is very cold hardy, um, that uh, but it doesn't attach itself to the wall. It has to have something. The simple thing, of course, would just be to put some sort of anchors into the wall and let the Tangerine Beauty Crossvine grow around that. But if you want something that's going to really give something that a vine could grow on and do extremely well on, um, I would, you know, put something in that's going to hold your, your cattle panels uh, an inch or two out from the wall and then plant something at the base. It's just going to grow up and, you know, wind all through it. Uh, if you happen to be in San Antonio and you're near us, uh, Shades of Green over on Sunset Road, look at the fence that is on, uh, that's in front of our parking lot. It's all the way out at the sidewalk on the street. Uh, when I built that fence, this is exactly what I did to put the cattle panels there. And I planted Confederate jasmine on that. And, uh, you know, it grew six feet tall the first year. It's dense and green and has 20,000 flowers on it every spring. I'm a little worried that Confederate jasmine will suffer some damage some years, but uh, the tangerine beauty cross vine should be totally cold hardy um, where you are every winter. It will make a you know a nice vine. It'll give you a world of flowers in the spring. If you ever down around the uh, Pearl area in san antonio that's that's the vine they have used growing up all over those structures up there and that would be an evergreen vine that would do very well for you there and uh, i don't think would really interfere with your texas sage that you have in front of it okay and uh, is it deer resistant very 
Nothing is deer proof if you live in the hill country, but it is very. We actually have a native cross vine that grows up there. The deer leave it alone, and unless you are just overrun with deer, it's uh, it's definitely going to be deer resistant, if not deer proof. And uh, because of the, you know, if you created something where the cross vine could really wind itself through, um, any damage they did would most likely be minimal. Okay, very good. Well, have a good afternoon. Thanks. You do the same, Kathy. Good questions. Thanks for the call. Goodbye. All right, Vernon is up next, and it'll be Nancy and Russell. Good morning, Vernon. Good morning, Bob. Morning. Hey, I got a, I got a few questions for you. What I'm going to do, I want to run my, I got an eight-foot uh, diameter, the, uh, the, the, I measured around the base of the tree. Okay. And it's an eight-foot oak tree that's okay. about nine feet from the house. Okay, if so it's roughly... Let's see, three point one four into eight. It's it's um, yeah. Uh, so it's about two feet across, about thirty inches across. Okay, what's the question? I was the other day. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, what I want to do is, like I said, it's nine feet from the house, and I want to put, if possible, I'd like to put a uh, a pathway through there. Well, I got a motorcycle mm-hmm. that I want to drive into the backyard. If I put like crushed granite down. Would rain and everything still get through that, or would that bother the tree? Oh, no, that's not going to bother the tree, and that would be an excellent uh, solution to the problem. I, I don't think um, uh, you're going to have to put, you know, a couple of inches of crushed granite on top so you don't have, you know, mud kind of making its way up through it. I probably would do what they call cement stabilizing. I get a bag of Portland cement, not concrete. Uh, concrete is a mixture of cement and sand and gravel. But I probably would get some Portland cement I'd use to a wheelbarrow full of uh, decayed granite uh, or, or crushed granite, whatever you want to call it. I'd use about a shovel full of powdered cement to a wheelbarrow full of the decayed granite. Put that down. It's going to stay loose enough that water will penetrate it, but it's going to set up hard enough that you could roll even a big bike across that uh, uh, without creating big ruts in it. So one shovel of uh, Portland cement to uh, a wheelbarrow. Yeah, to a wheelbarrow uh, full of decayed granite. That, and you're, you're talking just a stable, a standard wheelbarrow? Yeah. I got, one, I got two. I got the regular and the big ones. Yeah, I, I just a standard wheelbarrow. The, the amount isn't critical. What you're doing is just binding uh, the uh, your decayed granite to the point that it is a a more solid surface. This isn't something I'd be you know driving. I wouldn't even be driving an ATV over it, but rolling your bike over it should be minimal now, problem. I got a Goldwing, so it's yeah, it's good size. My bike. <laughs> my my partner and her husband used to uh, to grow everywhere from Canada to the East Coast on their Goldwing before he decided he was a BMW guy. But that's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I think that would stabilize it plenty. That even a even a big Goldwing you could roll across there. All right, I got a garden that uh, it's like the. Uh, cinder blocks that are what 18 inch long it's oh. like 20 cinder block by 25 and i did the shred the other day i got all my old tax paper and all that up mm-hmm. i got like four bags of uh shredded four garbage bags a shredded paper what i want to do with the garden i want to do the uh put the black tarp over the top of it and 
Solarize it. Okay. Would I put that paper down now, later, or not even on the garden? I would say it's fine on the garden, but I do your solarization first and realize the solarizing is not going to be effective until the temperature warms up a good deal. So yeah, if uh, if you were planning to grow a spring crop of something and then do your solarizing in the summer, go ahead and put your paper down now. It will have largely broken down um by july or august the ideal times to do your solarizing if you're planning to put your black plastic down and just leave it on for several months uh, i'd wait and put your paper down later but if it were mine uh i'd be putting the paper down now i would be growing uh some squash some beans some things are going to play out by midsummer get something out of that spring garden even if you're fighting weeds too and then when it starts getting unpleasantly hot uh and your spring crop is finished then go ahead and do your solarizing then I never even thought of that. That's what I'm here for. Uh, (laughs) I've also, I've got some worms. I've got uh, fish in my fish tank, and I was going to feed the worms to the fish tank fish, but the the fish are too big. The worms are the uh, red wiggler worms. Uh They're not big enough for that. Should I throw them on my compost pile or in the garden? I got uh, uh, ice chest. Either place. Either place they'll be fine, and they will improve the soil. Uh, How big are your fish? About 10 inch. They're Oscars. Okay. Um, uh, they can eat a worm that big without any problem. I, no, no, I throw, I, I, too damn expensive, but I go down and I buy the uh, <laughs> uh, Canadian night crawlers. Sure. And they'll eat, I got three, three fish, and they'll eat 10, 12, 15 of them, and 15 minutes later, look for well, more like you didn't feed me. Yeah, well, the, your, your red wigglers are going to be better for the garden than the night crawlers would. But, uh, yeah, yeah, either they, the garden, the compost pile, anywhere you want to put them, there's going to be a good thing for the soil. All right, last question. I got a pomegranate. Uh-huh. It's it's in a, I don't know, it's 14 inches tall, probably a foot across pot. I've had it for three or four years now, and I'll never get flowers. I don't get anything on it. Is that because it's root bound, or I, what? I wanted to do was find out if it's the flower or the the fruit. Well, Is both. There a way to find that out without. No, and both both will uh, produce flowers. Now it's either an immature plant. Is why it's not flowering. It's not getting enough sunlight. Being root-bound has absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, but it may be a dwarf variety. They're dwarf pomegranates that only grow two or three feet tall. There are, um, you know, there are... It's almost six feet tall. Yeah. Most of the dwarf varieties are going to be strictly ornamental. Um, but it, uh, if it's one of the bigger varieties, it might or might not be ornamental. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a lot easier to maintain in the ground than it is in a pot. My suspicion is if it has been in a pot that long and it has not gotten any bigger than that, it is almost certainly a dwarf variety, which means it is almost certainly strictly an ornamental. Why? I, I, I buy a growing green, the, uh, the, Fertilizer, yeah. and I put that on there, but I still don't. I maybe got, like I said, I've had it three or four years, and I get maybe one, two, three, less than ten flowers. Yeah, yeah, it's almost certainly a dwarf variety, and um, uh, in a pot, I'd really suggest you use has to grow rather than growing green. But uh, if it's in full sun, you definitely should get more flowers than that. Increasing the sunlight is going to be your best way to increase the number of flowers. But if your plant's only three or four feet tall after that many years. I almost promise you it's a dwarf variety. If it were if it were a standard one, you'd be looking at a plant that was eight to ten feet tall. Hmm. 
What good are they? What they're do pretty. they do for you? They're pretty. <laughs> they don't flower, though? Oh, yeah, they do flower. But if you'll increase your fertilizing and increase the sun, you'll start getting a lot more flowers. And has to grow instead of, I just went out back and looked, I got a bag of growing green out back. Well, has to grow is what I want to put on there? Has to grow is much more rapidly available. Uh, if you were doing has to grow once a month, you're going to get a lot more growth than, uh, you know, doing your growing green once or twice a year. Uh, I just, in containers, I prefer liquid fertilizers because I think they produce much faster results than the dry fertilizers. Sometimes I will use the dry fertilizer mixed with the soil before I plant. But once it's up and growing, man, I go to the liquids on anything growing in a container. I'm going to put it in once direct sun. I've also got a Myers lemon that I've had in a pot for probably eight years that I think I want to, it's flowering. It's smelling really pretty now. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's heavy flowering. There's probably two or three lemons on there. If I put that in the ground now, and be prepared to cover it in the winter and stuff, but if I put that in the ground now, will all that stuff fall off? Or, no, I mean, no. Come when back? you put it in the ground, you're just slipping it out of the pot, putting it in the ground. That's not going to affect what's already on it at all. Your pomegranate's totally cold hardy. Your Myers lemons is not, so be prepared to cover it. But, uh, well, yeah, this would be a good time of year to get it planted. That Myers lemon will go to about 28, won't it? Uh, about 26, 28, as long as it's not too prolonged. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate all you've done. My pleasure. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Let me punch line number three. Good morning, Nancy. Uh, hi, Bob. Hi I've there. Two questions for okay. you. Uh, I have a climbing rose bush that's like a family heirloom, uh-huh. and we, we're moving, so I need to take it with me. I don't know whether I should dig it up or if there's a way to root it. You can take cuttings from it, but how big is this uh, is this rosebush now? It's about seven feet tall. Okay. Um, I would probably do both. I would take some cuttings from it, root them in perlite, uh, keep them quite moist. Uh, there's absolutely... You know, and you want to take the more mature wood. Uh, uh, this would have been a lot better to do a couple of months ago before it started putting on its tender growth. Yeah. And when are you going to be in your new property that you can replant it? Um, I'm already here. I've okay. I've got them both right now. Okay. I, were it me, I probably would transplant it immediately. I mean, again, this is something would have been better to do a little while back. Uh, I've transplanted rose bushes that big very successfully, and the secret is do not ever let the roots get dry. You want to have your new hole dug. You want to dig it from point A, move it to point B, replant it, water it in very quickly, and um, even rose that big, you know, should do fine. But I, I'd take some cuttings from it, too, and uh, I'd try to get the mature wood, not the real tender stuff that's coming out on the tips of the branches right now. But uh, I'd take a bunch of cuttings. I'd soak them in liquid seaweed and water for 30 minutes or so, root them in perlite, and uh, that way you've got the best of both worlds. I'd say there's about a 90% chance your big plant's going to survive, but your backup plants are going to give you some to share with the rest of the family, if you like. Okay, well, great. So, What, um, what is I, the rose variety? I have no idea. It was at my grandmother's house. Okay. And, uh, and do you know if it was uh, a grafted rose, or does it appear to be growing on its own roots? It seems to be growing on its own roots. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a very good thing. Okay, good, good. But just remember, those roots can never dry out, even for 10 minutes. That's a kiss of death to a rose bush. So 
Um, if you get it dug up and the phone rings, ignore it. <laughs> if you have to cover it up with, uh, you know, wet blankets or whatever, you've got to keep that root system moist. After you get it into its new hole, um, you know, use again, water it in with has to grow or biotone or something like that. And, uh, just pick up your hose, uh, three or four times a day, just spray up and down it. Uh, so it can absorb water through that green bark that roses have, even if they're very mature. And um, it's, it's I've, again, I've transplanted them in July and had them successfully move. Uh, so just don't put it off. It's something you need to do in the very near future, Nancy. Okay, I'm doing it tomorrow. So should I cut it down a little bit first or just take the whole thing? Well, I would maybe, if you can today, go ahead and take some cuttings off of it. Um, and that's going to be probably all the cutting back you need. But I want to see you try 10 or 15 cuttings off of it because you're probably going to get half of them to root. So that in and of itself is probably enough cutting back. Okay, okay, I'll do that. Uh, my second question is I need a good screening bush or climbing vine. It, uh, uh, it's on it be by a wrought iron fence. How big and how much sun? Um. Not a lot of sun. I'd say partial sun, okay. and uh, the uh, probably about six feet tall, seven. Okay, um, you could look at something called a sweet uh, sweet olive. Um, botanically, it's called osmanthus. It's uh, has an extremely sweet aroma to it. It's a wonderful flowering plant. Um, it'll get about six feet, seven feet. It likes uh, partial sun is fine. Uh, works some compost in. It likes a good soil. That would be one choice. Um, at is five, it evergreen? Yes, it is. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, another choice would be one of the Nandinas. The compacta is going to grow four to five feet, probably not get quite to six, but it's going to do fine in partial shade. Uh, there are several different viburnums. Uh, the old-fashioned sandanqua is more of a sun lover, but some of the bigger leafed, uh, the chindo is one variety, the so-called um, sweet uh, viburnum, viburnum, uh, gosh, odoratissimum, that's the name of it. Uh, it's one that will want to grow to eight feet, but you can prune it occasionally and keep it at six feet, and uh, it's going to grow in a hurry. That's going to give you uh, probably the fastest growth. But um, if, if you would like to have some flowers and fragrance, and it blooms mainly January, February. It's one of the first things in the landscape to bloom. But uh, um, the uh, sweet olive is going to be a good choice. But sweet olive, uh, the larger leaf viburnums, um, the, the, you know, the compact nandina is another good choice. There are others. You can plant loquat, but I think it's going to get too big too quickly. Um, if it doesn't get any hot sun, now, uh, your Akuba, A-U-C-U-B-A, the, the gold dust variety especially, is going to get somewhere between four and six feet tall if you don't prune it. And that's one of the very best ones for shade, and it has a lot of yellow speckles in the leaves. So uh, I would go out and look at all of these plants and see which one you like best. Okay, I'll come by your nursery and take a look when we get ready for that project. We'll look forward to helping you. All right, thank you so much. Have a good day. You do the same. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, let's get back to these phone calls. Uh, Winding down the garden show, uh, it's Russell's turn now. Good morning, Russell. Hello, Bob. Good talking to you. Uh, Enjoy your show. Thank you. uh, I bought uh, some 
green sand, and it's by nature's creation, but I couldn't see anywhere on it where it was mined from. Mm-hmm. So that, that should be some good good green sand, right? Well, it comes out of East Texas. It's as good as you're going to find in green sand right now. I personally you know, like the green sand that came from uh, West Central Texas better. But that mine, they got to the property line, and the adjacent owner said, no, you can't continue uh, harvesting that. So uh, about the only local green sand available, the most recently priced green sand, uh, uh, is coming out of East Texas, and, and that's what Nature's Creation is using. Okay, and uh, I was going to put that on tomato plants, but how much would I put on each plant? Uh, half a cup? Uh, half um, a... Between half a cup and a cup. Um, okay. Do you have iron deficiency problems? Are you trying to cure a problem or trying to prevent a problem? I guess prevent. Um, okay. You know, I've I've, um, I've had this garden for a while. I just had, you know, I put Epsom salts with the plants, and I mm-hmm. put... Uh, growing green fertilizer on it, then I use uh, uh, has to grow on them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I, sh- I I'm not sure you need sure to use the, the green sand. Okay. Um, if you're wanting to add something, I'd think about putting some lava sand around, which is going to help you retain moisture in the soil. But I'm. You know, I'm on a lot of things, I'm a guy that, hey, if it's not broken, don't try to fix it. And uh, tomatoes, I don't think you would significantly improve your growth or your production with green sand. Uh, If you're using something like Medina's Growing Green Fertilizer, Stuart's already put a bunch of green sand in there. So uh, (laughs) if you got money burning a hole in the bottom of your pocket, it's not going (laughs) to hurt anything. But I I just don't think it's mandatory that you do that. What about any, uh, same thing with roses? Is, would you use that for that, or just if I'm using the same stuff, just don't roses. Don't worry about that. Roses are much more likely to need it, uh, but uh, I don't. You know, I don't. I wouldn't worry about it with tomato plants. But yeah, I'd probably okay. put a cup of two of it around the base of each of your rose bushes. I think that would be a good idea. Okay, all right. And uh, what what would you use soil activator for? Um, Medina soil activator increases the microbial activity in the soil, uh, which in turn tends to soften soils, uh, tends to do away with that crusty layer you get on the surface of some soils, and simply, you know, everything grows better with a very healthy biology of uh, both beneficial microbes, both beneficial fungi and bacteria and that's the principal thing that uh, the soil activator is used for long-term effects um, really help with breaking down thatch and really help with softening the soil but you're not going to see a whole lot you know from just one application there it's something that i think a lot of people ought to be using quarterly to help with maintaining uh, the tilth so to speak of the soils but uh it's um it, it's principally a microbial activator it's not a fertilizer okay and then uh another question on i've got the recipe for making carrot juice and it calls for the liquid comp uh compost right or yeah um do you make that like 
with a leachate or do that's, you that's a great question a yeah anything is going to help but just because of the time factor um i probably would use compost leachate rather than compost tea okay. now if you're making compost tea regularly uh that would be the stuff to use but compost yeah. tea has a very short um shelf life, yeah. shelf life you know good yeah. time to use it so I'd probably be using compost leachate to make my make my garret juice. And when you do that, you just put some compost and let it soak for a day, or yeah, just let it soak for twenty four hours and uh, okay. just uh, pour the liquid off of that, and uh, may want to dilute it down a little bit. What's that? Yeah. Okay. I said, and then just add the rest of the stuff. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Seaweed and all that molasses. Yeah. All Apple that. cider vinegar, molasses, whatever yeah. else you choose to add to it. Yeah. It's not one recipe. Our, our Garrett juice, rather, is more of a concept than a very specific product. Yeah. Uh, I know he's got that, uh, you know, like video that shows all the ingredients to make it. And yeah. Everything. Yeah. And then, but anyway. Okay. And, and one other quick question. Um, I think it's okay. Um, we got a grapevine in a pecan tree. Mm-hmm. I know in nature, they're river bottoms that you see it all the time. That's not going to hurt the pecan tree. Is it, it depends on how much of the canopy. In general, um, I've never seen a, a grapevine cover up a big yeah. pecan tree to the point that would hurt it. But if you felt like it was smothering the tree, that could be a problem. But uh, they they tend to coexist pretty well. It's a paper shell pecan, and it's been it's it's over sixty years old. Yeah. Well, uh, again, look at it, and if you feel like if somebody would look at that and say, "Hey, that's like kudzu, that's smothering the tree," then you better thin it out. If it's just yeah. growing here and there through the tree, no issues whatsoever. Okay, and a quick tip that I like to do is when I'm out in the garden, some of the sh- your shows I don't get to hear. Mm-hmm. I- load them up and i listen to them with earphones out in the garden while i'm gardening <laughs> well i so hope i, I keep you awake and... things I yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i get some information because some of the information i get but i don't remember but it's good to refresh on it well so, i appreciate yeah. i appreciate you doing that let me move on here because i got to get three more callers in for the end of the show and in one break and now i'm talking to matt over in laredo good morning matt Morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? Great, great. I had a question. If you uh, plant an orange tree from the seed, how long would it take to flower? Seven to ten years. Seven to ten years. Okay. Yeah. It has nothing to do with size. It has to do with maturity. And uh, like any animal, it, it has to reach a certain age before it is of reproductive age, so to speak. And with a woody tree uh, like citrus, yeah, seven to ten years on average. Okay, because I bought some oranges in the valley, I guess about four or five years ago, and I planted that seed. The tree's already eight feet tall. It's, it looks beautiful. <laughs> Yep. But no flowers. No, you got two or three years left to go. It's like I may have a bull calf that weighs 800 pounds, but if he's not mature, he can't service his, uh, the heifers out there, and your tree's just the same way. It's It hadn't hit maturity yet, but uh, if it's still doing well, it's obviously a pretty good cold-hardy variety, so it'll be worth the wait. I'll bet it'll turn out well. Yeah, my, my wife tells me, that's your hope tree. You know what I mean? So, well, I'm hoping I'm not going to cut it down. I, 
stone. I'm waiting for them oranges. So. I think it's a good thing to do. And if you ever want to, you could graft a couple of other varieties onto it. And that graft wood is already mature, so you probably start getting some more some oranges on your on your grafted portion of it. But hey, that's strictly up to you. Depends on how much you like oranges and how big of a hurry you're in. Alrighty, I appreciate it, Bob. Thank you. My pleasure, Matt. I appreciate the call. All right, let's get back to these phone lines. It'll be Dennis and then Stephen. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. I have a question about a, an oak tree. Uh, we planted this thing from a seedling, and now it's, it, you know, when it was about two foot tall, then we put it in the ground a little bit over a year ago. I want to say about a year and three months. It's now about six foot tall. Mm-hmm. It's a live oak tree. I don't know the actual name of it. If the seedling was giving to us, sure. But my question is, what what kind of fertilizer would you recommend to put on? And then also, how often would you recommend to water that tree? And it's been in the ground how long? About a year. Yes, sir. A little bit over a year, about a year and three months. Okay. Well, it's sort of halfway established. Uh, it's not going to be fully established for about another year's time. For fertilizer, I any good organic product's going to do just fine. I would use, um, if it may, I'd use the same thing you put on the grass. And that could be Nature's Creation. That could be Medina. That could be Maestro Grow. Uh, that could be Espoma. Any of those good organics. Uh, live oaks are... They're not real picky. They're they're a little hungry. They'd like to eat, but uh, you don't have to go out and look for a specific fertilizer just for that type of tree. Uh, as far as watering, uh, right now I'm going to be giving it a thorough soaking at least once a month. Uh, if it is especially windy or if it gets real warm real soon, I'm going to probably increase that to watering maybe every couple of weeks. But the whole idea, you want to water it very, very thoroughly, but not very often. Now, another year from now, I'm going to tell you to put the hose away and don't water it unless we have a real severe drought. But I'm going to give it another year of watering it every two to four weeks. And I'm probably going to water it by just laying the hose at the base and letting it just dribble for an hour or so. So you really get it soaked down thoroughly into the soil. Okay. And then when you fertilize it, you just put it around the base of the tree? I put it all, you know, about as far out as the... uh, limbs go at this point it's pretty limited in size i'd probably use a couple of cups of fertilizer and i'm just going to kind of sling it out there by hand uh, those roots eventually they're going to spread twice as wide as the canopy but uh, again when that tree really gets mature it doesn't need much help from you uh, the most mm-hmm. important things i want to tell you about growing that tree is uh, anytime you ever have to make a wound on the tree, anytime you're doing any trimming or pruning, I mean, do it properly, but it is very important, even if it's a small limb, to seal that wound because that's how oak wilt gets spread. And that's live oaks are a tree that are very susceptible to oak wilt, but uh, the disease is spread on new trees by a, a little beetle called a sap beetle or a nitty doodly beetle that's uh, being attracted to wounds on the tree. That wound only has to be sealed for eight or ten days until the tree itself seals it off. But uh, don't let anybody tell you you don't have to paint if it's a certain time of year. You don't have to paint if it's a certain size. I believe in sealing every wound every time. 
And uh, sometime I'll give you some tips as that tree grows a little bit on getting a good structure to it. But right now, you just need sunlight, water, and fertilizer and time. And how often would you fertilize it? Um, maybe three or four times a year. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I had. Thank you so much. Good question, Dennis. Uh, sounds like a good heritage tree. And uh, you got to have a good weekend. Uh, happy St. Patty's Day tomorrow. And uh, probably finish up phone calls today with Stephen. Good morning, Stephen. Hi, Bob. How you doing, man? I'm great. It's going to be a wonderful day out there. Pretty cool, but you know, if you've got any work to do, uh, it's just got that kind of weather that feels good to be alive and be out in it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just got off a 24-hour shift, and now I'm like, <laughs> okay, time to, do, time to do the honeydew lists and stuff. There but, you go. Uh, I've got a, a couple quick questions. Uh, you're going to yell at me? No, just kidding. Uh, I've got uh, rose bushes, and time got away from me. Is it too late to uh, go ahead and trim trim them back a little bit okay two comments here number one it's never too late uh and number two it's not really necessary pruning roses is something the american rose society i think has uh (laughs) encourages to give gardeners something to do if you're a guy that works long shifts and things like that uh you know if you don't have time to prune your roses uh, roses all, all you're doing is changing the shape you're you're doing things cosmetically and uh so i don't care whether you prune your roses or not if you want to prune you'll get more new growth uh sometimes um by reducing the size you will get stronger stems if you have roses that have big old heavy flowers it may give you a stronger stem that does a little bit job better job of uh holding that bloom up but on the negative side every time you prune you're sacrificing flowers on your roses Uh, it's going to be a while before the plant grows out enough to make more blooms and most of the roses we grow are the kinds that can bloom pretty much all summer long so uh, don't lose any sleep over the fact that you didn't get them pruned early and you only need to prune them if uh, that honeydew that you're doing the honeydew list for is complaining that they're too big or getting in the way of something else. <laughs> so right, exactly. uh, it's up to you whether you prune them or not. If you do prune them now, yes, you're going to lose some of your spring flowers, but you're sure not going to hurt the plants. Okay. How about a turkey fig? It's pretty all over the place. Uh-huh. And I've got quite a few limbs that are growing towards the ground and on the ground. Mm-hmm. Can I go ahead and trim those back now? Your brown turkey fig is just like your roses. It's only it's going to turn into a monster. It is totally up to you whether or not you prune it. If you'd like to have additional plants, if you've got family member or friends that say, man, I wish I had a piece of that plant. Some of those limbs that are down close to the ground, pin them to the ground. Put a rock on top of them or something like that. Just hold them against the ground. Put a big shovel of dirt over the top. By summertime, they will have rooted into the ground. You can snip that limb, uh, dig it up, and have plenty of plants to share. Figs, uh, uh, brown turkey figs, an old variety. It's one of the open-ended figs, so occasionally we do see some problems with that little fruit weevil in it, but Gosh, I've had one for years, and I don't think I've okay. I've ever remember having a problem. So prune it if you like, but it's another one that if you've got room to just let it grow, it doesn't have to be pruned to stay healthy. Okay, and last quick question. I have never grown garlic, and this mm-hmm. year I went ahead and planted a bunch of garlic. Some of it's standard, like what you find in uh, 
H-E-B or grocery store or something. Right. And then the other is uh, elephant garlic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right now they're planted, and they're all about a foot, uh, you know, foot to 18 inches tall. Mm-hmm. The uh, regular garlic has, you know, getting five, six brand, uh, leaves coming up out of the root. Uh-huh. Uh, when is it pretty much like onions that – you wait, wait, wait until the tops start. That's a good. That's yeah. That's a, a good way to put it. Um, you don't want to harvest it too early. Onions you can harvest any time, but if you harvest your right. garlic too early, it won't have developed the little pods, uh, little cloves down on the bottom. But uh, leave it in, water it, fertilize it. I'd spray it with some liquid seaweed because thrips are one thing that can cause a problem, and seaweed will help on that. But um, when the tops begin to fall over and brown, now the wind may knock some of them over, but uh, I wouldn't be digging it until the the tops are physically dying back. Uh, Your your elephant garlic is going to make big old bloom heads. It's going to be really pretty. And uh, it's the same way. I've got elephant garlic. I just leave in the ground, and it just gets bigger and bigger clump every year, and I can just harvest from the edge of that group. It's also going to uh, make seed that's going to sprout up all around, unlike your H-E-B-style garlic. But okay. on, on all of them, I would leave them alone until the tops fall over and really start turning brown. Then I would harvest, brush them dry, don't wash them, and you can hang them up. You can braid them. You do anything like you like. They'll keep for probably up to a year. Awesome. That sounds great. Good questions. You get out and have a great weekend. Oh, we'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.